Every time I try to make it on mine Every time I try to stand strong to fall And all those lonely roads that I traveled There was Jesus When the life I feel came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now Well, there was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing of Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces
Well, good morning. Welcome to Shelby Christian Church. Glad you guys are here this morning. Hey, you guys that are joining us online, thanks for being there as well. Go ahead and type in the comment section there and let us know who you are and where you're at and who's worshiping with you this morning. Uh, We're glad you guys are here today. I am excited about what God's going to do in our midst this morning. I was uh, thinking and reading this week in the fifth book of the Old Testament, chapter 31. Moses is talking to the Israelite people. And and he's 120 years old at this time. He's not going to be their leader anymore. And so that brings about some uncertainty with the people. Because what's next, right? What's the next phase going to look like? Joshua is about ready to assume the leadership role for the Israelite people. And Moses looks at his people. And he says this. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because our God will go before you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He will always be with you. And I think in uncertain times, it's really good to remember that we worship a God, right? That won't leave us. He won't forsake us. Even when it seems like we're surrounded by our enemies, right? He fights our battles. And I think this morning that is something to be celebrated. That's a God that deserves our worship and our adoration. And that's why we're here today. So would you guys stand up with us and let's worship a God who has gone before us. Sure. 
spoke a word we were singing only you have been so so good to me before I took a breath
seat. There are certain things that are worth remembering, aren't there? Certain moments, certain occasions. I bet some of you guys still uh, collect photos and put together scrapbooks, and anytime someone uh, that you know, a friend or a family member, shows up in the newspaper, you cut it out and you stick it in a, in a binder. We used to do things like that before everything became digital, right? There are certain things that are just worth remembering. And then there are other things that we just want to forget, right? Like most of 2020. I was thinking in the last few days about some of the things that we should never forget. Nine days ago, we remembered 9-11. Some of the phrases that go along with that memorialization of that now are... We'll never forget, or I'll remember, I'll always remember. Remembering the people, the 2,977 people who lost their lives that day. I was thinking, you know, it's crazy that next year will be the 20th anniversary of that horrific occasion. And that there are students in college now that didn't live through that. That it happened before they were born. And so they will need someone else to tell them about that. Those who remember that. I have um, gone to Poland uh, three times and four times now, I think. And every time we go, we get to tour Auschwitz. And every time I walk the cobble streets of that concentration camp, I'm reminded of what took place there in the 1930s and 40s. I wasn't there, obviously. But the people during that time said we can't tear this down 
We can't burn this down. This concentration camp must stand. After the war was over, they said, let's keep this so that we never forget. So that we always remember what happened here. And never allow it to happen again. Some things are worth remembering. Jesus looked at his friends on a Thursday night. He shared a meal with them. And after that meal, he said, always remember me. Always remember my love. Always remember the things that I've shared with you, that I've taught you, that I've shown you. Always remember the cross. Don't forget my sacrifice and my love for you. And so every Sunday morning, we gather for communion to remember what Jesus has done on the cross for us. May we never forget. I'm going to pray, and then as you guys in the next couple moments, feel free to come on up to one of the communion stations and share in a time of communion this morning as we always remember the sacrifice of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for sometimes the gentle reminders that we need in life. About the things that that should always be remembered. God, I pray that we would never forget how much you love us. And what you've done for us. What the cross cross reminds us of that sacrifice that you willingly went to on our behalf you stretched out your arms you allowed yourself to be nailed to that piece of wood by Roman soldiers you didn't have to do that you're the God of the universe but you did that because our sin requires a sacrifice And so, God, as we take this bread and we drink this juice this morning, may we never forget how wide and deep your love is for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. crisis, after great tragedies, there have been what, what we call revivals or a, a 
awakenings. And I look around our world today. I look at our pandemic. I look at the social, the political unrest, and I think, God, we need it now. And today we're going to teach you all a new song that basically is our prayer to God, saying, God, send a revival. Come awaken your people. Come awaken our city, God. Come awaken our nation to your glory. So as we sing these words, let them be, let them be your prayer today. Yeah. 
I'm so glad you guys are here today. Like Jason said, if you're worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you're with us. It is so cool every week to be able to kind of watch uh, those analytics come in and see people from so many states uh, that are worshiping with us, and then to see people from so many countries that are worshiping with us online. Uh, one of our guys, uh, Tyler Larson, uh, is in Germany because he plays professional basketball over there. And I love uh, every week when I get on and I see that German flag come up and I know that Tyler's watching with us. And so, uh, man, I'm glad he's on today and watching with us. They did a great article uh, in a German newspaper, or at least I assume it was a pretty great article. I had trouble reading it a little bit. Um, but it was all about Tyler's faith. Uh, and as a, as a professional basketball player over there, how he's living out his faith uh, in a foreign country. And so I just love hearing stories like that. So we're glad you guys are here, and whether it's in person or, or online. In 1999, we became accustomed to a new question. A new question, a new phenomena. The question was asked, Almost uh, every night during certain seasons of the year by a guy that our country fell in love with. And Regis Philbin would ask people on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, is that your final answer? 
That became kind of a catchphrase for everything. You're in the early years of that show. People were just like, that became kind of part of everyday language. Somebody would say something, and you hear somebody else say, is that your final answer? Is that your final answer? Well, over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. Is we're going to see three real stories and then one parable, made-up story that Jesus shared about some men who were faced with that question. Is that your final answer? They were, they were dealing with questions themselves. They had all kinds of different things going on. And some of them got the final answer right. Unfortunately, the guy we're going to look at today did not. If you got your Bibles, you want to open up to the Gospel of Luke to chapter 18. Chapter 18, we're about halfway through that chapter. We're going to start in verse 18. So that's pretty easy to remember. Luke 18, 18 is where we're at today. And here's how the story starts. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All of these, stop right here. You see some boldness coming out here? This guy said, I got it. All of these I have kept. I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Still one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven. Then come and follow after me. And verse 23 is one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture. Look what it says. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. What a significant question he asked Jesus that day. Well, this this guy just who's who's very successful, he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do, teacher, master, rabbi, different translations uh, say that differently, but he said, what do I need to do to make sure when my time here is over, that I've got eternity in heaven secured. Now, on the surface, to people that were seeing that guy that day, when he strolled up, he would have looked like the poster child for success. He's a young guy. He's wealthy. He's religious. He's influential in the community. He's got it all together. But his attitude toward materialism And things of the world is what messed him up. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at some lessons that we can learn from this guy's story and this guy's question so that hopefully we can get the final answer correct. I think we need to look at this and see the reality is, just like this guy, we all want to look good. I'm not talking about necessarily our physical appearance, although that's part of it, but I mean, if we're just really honest with ourselves, we all want to look good in the world's eyes. Based on whatever we think that our community, our society, our culture is judging people by, we all want to meet the bar. We all want to step up to that. 
But for many of us, and for a lot of us, that's Satan's trap. That's how Satan had this guy trapped, because he thought, I've done it all. I've, I've done all the things that I need to do. And so he asked Jesus, is there anything else? He made several critical mistakes, I think, in his evaluation of his life, mistakes that Satan wanted him to make. The first one was he mistakenly believed that salvation comes from doing. But salvation doesn't come from doing. That's the lesson we need to learn is that salvation doesn't come from doing. This guy's problem, I think, started thinking it was up to him to do what he could do. That it was up to him to do what he could do. I mean, I was reading this week and thinking about a, a different teaching that I was going to do for a, a group of young people. And I was actually reading, and I, I was reading Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I got down to verse 13. And immediately, mo- a lot of you guys in here know exactly what I was reading now. When I say Philippians 4, 13, you know, but you know what? It dawned on me that how badly we read, misread Philippians 4, 13. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know how most of us read that if we're not really careful? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, We put the emphasis in totally the wrong place. It's not about what I can do. It's about what I can do through God who strengthens me. That's the problem this guy had. His emphasis was all on what he could do. He was thinking that he could do enough. Now, the Bible does tell us that we have to do things. In fact, the Bible clearly says to us that faith without works is dead. But the overriding principle, especially throughout the New Testament, is in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. Not by any works that we have done, because we would boast about that. We would become rich young rulers if it was because of anything we have done. Now, Paul in Ephesians 2 goes on and says, but there are good works that we're supposed to do that were created for us before we were even created. That they, We are supposed to do good works, but it has nothing to do with doing enough. See, here's this guy's mental analysis was. It's right here. Do enough, and you're in. Do enough, don't do enough, and you're out. It's all about some kind of mental checklist that's going on. And guys, listen to me. What we can learn from this, if that's your final answer, you got it wrong. You can't do enough. The, the, the next thing we need to learn from this guy and from his mistakes is that salvation doesn't come from being good. It not only doesn't come from doing enough, it doesn't come from just being good. Matthew's record of this story goes through all the commandments. And it's like you can see as they're talking about him that this guy's given to Jesus and he's going down the checklist of the Ten Commandments. Check, 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 check. I got that. Could there possibly, have you added an 11th one? Is there anything else that I could possibly, possibly do? Now, here's, here's the reality of this, the bottom line. This guy's a good guy. And, I mean, this guy's a good guy. 
He's, he's, he's following the commandments. He's living a good life. He was probably at church every Sunday. He probably dropped something in a black offering box when he went up to get his communion. He may have even done it online. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. But the reality is salvation doesn't come from being good. The world would have said that this guy was almost perfect. The world might look at you today. There might be people in the world today that look look at you and go, man, I I just wish I could get my life together like her. I, I just wish I could get my life together like him. And it all looks good on the outside, and it is good on the outside. But salvation doesn't come from being good. It's more about this heart issue, and it's more about our true relationship. And and one of the scariest statements that I read this week in studying for this said that almost saved is to be totally lost. To be almost saved, this guy's just right on the brink. He's just like right there. But to be almost saved is to be totally lost. Mark Batterson said about this guy, he said, he was following the rules. He just wasn't following Jesus. How many rules are you following? Or are you following Jesus? See, salvation doesn't come from doing, and it doesn't come from being good, and it doesn't come from stuff. Jesus knew this guy's stuff was what was really important to him. But his stuff wasn't enough. That's what Jesus, the God in flesh, could see in this guy's story was that, hey, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But that stuff, that image, that he's, a, he's always referred to as the rich young ruler. He liked the title. He probably had a little magnetic badge that he wore around that had rich young ruler on. He liked being known as that. And Jesus knew the stuff got in the way. One of the Bibles that I was studying out of this week in the commentary of it said, Jesus does not ask us to sell everything, but he does ask us to get rid of anything that becomes more important than him and to push it aside. And one of the hardest verses for me to read in the Bible is that last verse. He went away very sad. He walked away from Jesus because he had great wealth. He asked Jesus the important question, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And when Jesus gave him the answer, he walked away. He walked away very sad because of a man of great wealth. In John's gospel, in John chapter 6, in verse 66, he talks about how Jesus is teaching, and the teaching got hard, and many of the disciples walked away. They just couldn't handle it. They, they didn't become part of the ones that we now know. They were followers of Jesus that walked away. We don't even know their names now. They walked away because the teaching got a little bit hard. See, we all want to look good, and that's Satan's trap. But we have to live right and that's God's design. I think in this next, this second part of this, Jesus reminds him that Satan's trap directly contradicts God's design for worldly wealth. See, worldly wealth has to be acquired and used with God's values 
and with God's designs because it's not all bad. We need to understand that obedience, obedience is beneficial. See, Jesus did, in fact, remind this man of God's commandments. We obey God's commands and designs. We, We need to do that. But listen, guys, we do that not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. Do you you see the drastic difference in the two? This guy's trying to check off boxes and try to earn something, trying to make sure that he gets it all right so that he can get something, not because he's already gotten something in a relationship with Jesus. John chapter or first John chapter five, verse three said, This is love for God. Here's the final answer. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. The Old Testament tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. See, our obedience is not seen, though. Our obedience is not seen in showing up for worship on Sunday. In in fact, more importantly, our obedience is seen in how we live Monday through Saturday. Come on. Let's be real. Anybody can pull off one hour out of 168. Anybody can pull that off. Uh, I, I mean, it's air conditioned in here, and the seats are relatively comfortable, and, and it's it's, an, it's not a bad hour. But that's not the sign of obedience. It's how we live outside of that. But obedience is beneficial. Don't write off obedience. Don't read this and, and see what this guy did and say, "Well, he was all worried about obedience." Obedience is good. Obedience is beneficial. And then understand this, worldly wealth is useful. Don't look at this peril or this story and this teaching somehow as being a teaching that Jesus saying is that worldly wealth is a bad thing. No, worldly wealth is useful. And worldly wealth is useful. First Timothy chapter six, verse ten says, For the love, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say, for money is evil. It doesn't say, for wealth is evil. Paul said to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And then he explains that some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves for many griefs. See, money, money's a good thing. Money is wonderful. It's a listen. Money is a necessary tool for spreading the gospel. That's why God calls us to give. We we need that. It, it's a necessary tool for spreading the gospel, and, and to do it properly, it takes funds. And, and here's here's one of the things I'm most excited about. I have there's a lot of the last seven months that I've hated that I've despised, that it just really bothered me. But there's been some really cool stuff happen. God's blessed us because you you guys and and the other parts of our community have changed lives have have done well in giving. And because you've done well in giving during that time, there were some times when some things weren't meeting that therefore there wasn't an expense. So we've been able to do some really cool things during the last seven months that was the result of having a little bit of financial support that was really good during this season. We were able to, to, to in one day, build all the walls 
for a Habitat for Humanity house, along with some other churches, to do it back here in the parking lot. And we were able to fund that because of, of being in a good financial position. We were able to, during the time when the early time of this pandemic, and we didn't know what was going on, because we were in a good financial position, we were able to give money to help some churches in the South that were really in danger of maybe closing their doors. And we were able to help keep the doors open. We were able to help rebuild the wall, to rebuild an entire church that was firebombed in Arkansas when all the racial unrest started. And through the Solomon Foundation, we were able to help those churches because we were able to give some to make that possible. We were able to give, and some of you guys gave personal gifts to Yousef in Pakistan that when in the walls are back up on that church in Pakistan that were knocked down during the early part of the summer and the walls are already back up. We were able to give to that and to help in that. We were able to uh, buy a lot of food for the backpack project and to give a lot of boxes of food away early on and to help get these little food pantries up all around our county. We were able to help do 50,000 masks in partnership uh, with Crossroads Ministry uh, in Louisville. We were able to do a lot of good things because we were in a good financial position. So don't miss this. Worldly wealth is useful when it's applied properly. Obedience is beneficial and wealth is useful, but here's the key. Surrender is essential. Surrender is essential. Uh, I want us to be very careful to understand that Jesus wasn't interested in this man's money. Let me say that again. Jesus wasn't interested in this man's money and how many poor people it would have helped because Jesus was perfectly capable of taking care of everything that needed to be taken care of without this guy. And we need to understand Jesus is perfectly capable of taking care of the needs of this world without us. But he wants us to be involved. He wants us to be involved. In fact, there's biblical evidence, I think, if you read the entirety of Scripture, I think there's enough biblical evidence in here that if this guy had done what Jesus said and said gone and, and sold what he had and given the poor, he might very well have gotten back more than he had in the first place. That's kind of how Jesus rolled. That's how God rolled. Look at Job in the Old Testament. I mean, we don't know that, but there's evidence that would say that. It wasn't about this guy's money. If that's what you think when you hear this, you're, you're missing the teaching here. It wasn't about surrendering his money. It was all about surrendering his heart. It, it was all about changing his priorities. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was one of the greatest thinkers, writers in all of history. And, and he wrote this about the cost of grace. He said, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it cost a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man 
the only true life. And the rest says it's costly because it condemns sin and it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. After all, it's grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. See, that's what this guy's missing here. And Mark 10, 21 tells us that Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. That's how Mark defines that when Jesus is speaking to him, what do I need to do? And he says, you need to go and sell and give it to the poor. That Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the next verse says, but he walked away very sad because he had great wealth. Jesus wasn't condemning him. He was loving him, but he was trying to take him to the most important level, that level of surrender. So what do we do? What do we do with with all of this? It's because we want to look good. That's Satan's trap. And and we need to, to, to follow or we need to live right. That's God's design. But for us to be able to do that, we've got to let go of some stuff. And sometimes it's just hard letting go. I read an amazing story this week. I had kind of remembered it when I started reading it, but I had forgotten it. But it was a story from 1987. It was actually the year I came here and started working here at Shelby Christian Church. And in 1987, there was a commuter flight that was going from Portland, Maine to Boston. And partway through the flight, the pilot, Henry Dempsey, uh, heard something that he didn't didn't sound right to him. And he turned the controls over to his co-pilot and got out to go to the back of this small plane to investigate what was going on. There was a rattle that he couldn't figure out. And just as he got to the back of the plane, just as he got to the back of the plane, they hit an air turbulent and it kind of jostled him and he fell into the door and immediately found out what the rattle was. The latch wasn't locked on the door and the door flew open and you know what happened. The co-pilot panics. He calls for he calls the nearest airport, asks for an emergency landing, and he said, tells them that the pilot just got sucked out of the plane. They need to send helicopters up to the area to search the area and everything. And so he begins his descent. He begins his descent from about 4,000 feet at about 200 miles an hour, and he lands the plane, and he comes to the stop. And when he comes to the stop, the amazing thing was the rescue team found Henry Dempsey clinching the ladder on the side of this little plane as hard as he could. And the plane had landed, and somehow he'd had the strength to keep his head from hitting the runway, and he survived it. But then this was the interesting thing. I I don't doubt it a bit. It said it took them almost 15 minutes to pry his fingers loose from the ladder. What are you holding on to that tightly? What are you white-knuckling? What are you holding on so tightly that, that, that somebody's trying to pry your fingers off of that thing? And you're white-knuckling it every day. Maybe it's your checkbook. Maybe it's your 401K. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your marriage. 
Maybe it's that really nice car that you've longed for. Maybe it's the back of the seat in front of you every Sunday when we sing a song that challenges you to give your life to Jesus. And you just want to hang on. You want to work it out for yourself. What on earth or in heaven and hell is worth keeping if we lose our salvation in the process? I want to run through these next things really quick. It's because it's the things I think we need to let go of. Some things we need to let go of if we're going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go through these things really quick. There's six of them. So you can write one through six down and jot them down and we're going to be done, okay? Here's some things I, I think we've got to re- work really hard to let go of. We've got to understand the money trap of our world. Circling back around, that, that Satan's trap. We understand the money trap of the world. Pastor Warren Wiersbe wrote, Money only satisfies people who are willing to live on a low level where money brings them happiness. You see what he's saying? He said, if money's where you're finding happiness, that's not, that's not the best level to live that. I want you to look back at our text in Luke 18. In verse 24, Jesus picks up the rest of the story. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this ask, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. See, you can't do enough. You can't be good enough. That's impossible. But what's impossible for men is possible with God. Satan is the master of traps. All throughout the Bible, he's referred to as a deceiver. And money is a trap because it tempts us to believe that the ultimate answer to our problems is in that dollar bill, is in our bank account, is in what we have. Understand the money trap of our world. Second thing we need to be willing to let go of and understand is we need to actually start giving faithfully to God. We need to put God first. If you've ever gone through financial peace, university, Dave Ramsey, there's a lot of the plan that makes a lot of sense, but he says the plan won't work if you don't tithe. He says the plan won't work if you don't do what God asks you to do. See, the Old Testament begins by teaching us to tithe. That's the first fruits. In fact, the, the, first, the first murder that we read about in history, the Bible, in the Bible, as Cain killed Abel, was because Cain didn't give the first fruits, and Abel did. And that got Abel some commendation, congratulations from God. Cain couldn't stand that. And, and so Abel did the right thing. And he surrendered, but the world couldn't stand it. But the Old Testament, again, teaches you got to bring your first fruits, the, the first 10%. But then the New Testament, a lot of people say, well, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. I get kind of, sort of, but it really does. But you know what? If you want to go down that road, you know, the thing that you need to get your mind around is no, it doesn't talk about tithing. It talks about going beyond that. It talks about real sacrificial giving and real surrender. It talks about starting there and then building on that. I I, I like the term that we've kind of landed on here at Shelby Christian. We've kind of adopted this key word of just generosity. Generosity. We want to be a community of changed lives that is known for generosity. We just want to be willing to give and to serve. And so here's the deal. Every Sunday, if you're a guest, in fact, if you're a guest here right now, this part of it right now doesn't apply to you because this service is, our, is one of our generous gifts to you. 
Now, if you continue to worship, and if you become a member especially, if you become a Christ follower, then it's not the church saying that, it's God saying, here's what you do as a Christ follower. You give so that other people might hear the gospel and become Christ followers. And that for a lot of us in here, a lot of us were blessed. We had parents that took us to church and, and we got, but a lot of us in here were blessed and came to know Christ because this church or another church somewhere that was funded by people giving did some things that attracted us, draws and we heard the gospel message and we are forever changed because of that. And now we pay it forward as part of our giving. So we understand the money trap of the world. We, we start giving faithfully to God. We invest in others. We got to really start thinking about others. I already mentioned several things that our Together Missions team has been able to do this year. We're built toward the end of the year. You're going to start hearing more about our Together Initiative this fall and leading up to Christmas. And, and, and so I don't want to go a lot deeper. Now. I just want to challenge you with one thing. And, and you can't do it this year. So I'm giving you at least a four-month lead into that right because we've kind of shut down the world's kind of shut down but if you've never been on a short-term mission trip to a foreign country i want you to start thinking about it right now and make it a priority for next year hopefully all the travel is all travel bans are lifted and we can do that again but as soon as we can i want you because you need to get beyond your current world and and see things as they are in other places. The fourth thing is, I want to really challenge you to refuse to buy something that you really want. Notice I didn't say something you really need, but something you really, really want. To put it off, trust God, and see what he might do. Just see what he might do. I could stand up here the rest of the day and tell you things that I want. Some of which I've chosen to do without. And then I can also tell you when God's provided something even better. When I chose to do without something I wanted and let him provide something I needed. So I just want to challenge you to to consider that. See, surrender is all about giving up something you want for something you want even more, that relationship. This, this, this guy that Jesus was talking to, he, he wanted eternal life, but apparently he wanted the things of this life even more because he wasn't willing to give up the things that he wanted now for something he wanted later. So maybe as, a, as, as building into this, we need to refuse each of us to buy something we really want. The fifth thing, be thankful for what you already have. Be thankful for what you already have. See, materialism, and materialism is the disease of feeling you'll never have enough. You know what our world's definition for enough is? Just a little bit more. That's how our world defines enough. Just a little bit more. So I want to do something real quick. We're almost done. I want, I want you to look at your hand right now. I want you to look at your hand. Look, look at your hand, and I want you to go, go through and, and count off real quick. Just use your fingers. Count off five things you're thankful for right now. Go. See, we need to be more thankful. And, and to make those lists and to think of the things that we've been blessed with. 
And then finally, the sixth thing. Understand the money trap of the world. Start giving faithfully to God. Invest in others through missions. Refuse to buy something you really want. And be thankful for what you have. And then finally, recognize the ultimate treasure is salvation. See, here's how Jesus finishes this story, starting in verse 28. Peter is one of the guys that's standing around watching this happen with this interaction between this rich young ruler and Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, we have all, we have left all we have to follow you. Notice it's almost like, (laughs) it's almost like Peter wants to top the other dude. (laughs) It's almost like the other guy who's, I've done all these things. And then Peter said, oh, but we've left it all to follow you. And look what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Eternal life. Jim Dennison's a Baptist pastor in Dallas. And, and he told about a, a summer mission trip that he took to Malaysia uh, back when he was in college. And they were doing this revival in Malaysia. And on the last night of the revival, there was a young lady that came. And she came, she came and she gave her life to Jesus. And she wanted to be baptized that night. And, and so they didn't have a nice baptistry like we did. They had a, they had a little bathtub over in the corner. An old bathtub that, that somebody had, had donated. And, and so they went and they got the water and they filled the bathtub with water. And she was baptized that night. Jim Denson tells, Denison tells how during the service he noticed a couple suitcases over by the wall. Just propped up by the wall. And he asked someone about those suitcases. And, and the person told him, said, yeah, they belong to her. Her father told her that if she gave her life to Jesus and was baptized, she could never come home again. So she made preparation. What are you holding on to? What are you white knuckling? Uh, we do what we do because of salvation, not for salvation. God, I think that his story is, is teaching us to live out of thankfulness, to live out of thankfulness, not out of acquisition. But the bottom line of all this, of what Jesus is teaching, what we need to take away from here today is it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. What's the final answer? Don't walk away from Jesus. He's your treasure. God, I thank you for loving us enough to give us Jesus. Help us not to walk away. Help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with me? All the guys lead us. If you need to... You need to walk closer to Jesus. You need to deal with something that's going on. Uh, Jason's down here. Terry's in here. We got other elders around here. Somebody love to pray with you, uh, kind of help you through a season. Bradley's back. We got staff. We got elders. Just while we sing this, I want to challenge you to come on. Come on.
Thanks for being here today. If this is your first time, uh, when you go, when you leave, go out those doors right there. This big orange wall says, I'm new. Brett and his team are out there. We got a special gift for you. If you're trying to figure out what your next step in this journey is, there's a next step room back there. Kevin and some folks are out there. Uh, have an awesome week. Don't walk away from Jesus. We'll see you guys next Sunday.